0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Simply Bitcoin IRL. Today we have, I would consider one of the macro heavyweights on on Bitcoin Twitter. We have Dr. Jeff Ross. But before I bring him on stage, I want to give a shout out to the awesome Bitcoin company that powers the show. You haven't already done so, go check out swanbitcoin.com. Best place to buy Bitcoin. Buy Bitcoin. Buy built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. They incentivize dollar cost averaging and self custody. Go check out swanbitcoin.com today. Anyways, I want to bring Doctor Ross on stage. How you doing, Doc?
1: I'm doing awesome, Nico. How you doing?
0: Good. I'm I'm hyped. The I'm hyped that you're here. And coincidentally. You came on the same day that uh, of, the, of, of the Fed meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just reading a headline here. Fed approves smallest rate hike since March and nod to improved inflation outlook. So the question that I have for you, Dr. Ross, is are we out of the woods?
1: So for now, yes. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I was used to be affectionately known as Dr. Bear. I am no longer uh, bearish. I I flipped uh, uh, during the second week of January. Why did I flip then? Because it takes my uh, indicators a little bit to confirm market bottoms. I don't try to time market bottoms. I wait till they're confirmed. So, um, so. That's where we were. I think everything. I'll give you my little my bull thesis. So I think everything changed in October. What changed? Basically everything. So liquidity, global liquidity, which is something I watch closely, both both in the U.S. and uh, internationally, bottomed in October, and then started rising again. Most people don't know that. Most people still think we're kind of in quantitative tightening, but there's actually sort of some behind the scenes quantitative easing going on. You don't have to take my word for it. You can take the dollar or bond yields for it or risk assets for it or Bitcoin for it. All of them uh, had a major change of direction basically in October. So the dollar peaked has been coming down. Bond yields peaked. They've been coming down. Risk assets bottomed. They've been moving higher. Bitcoin actually took like a month longer, but I completely blame uh, scam bankman fraud for that. Uh, for sucking Bitcoin down uh, lower for longer. Uh, Otherwise, I think Bitcoin would have bottomed in October as well. Um, But anyways, nevertheless, it did bottom in November. It's been moving higher ever since. Um, Everything that I look at uh, from from a trading, from a short to midterm kind of trading standpoint is bullish. I tell people this is a bull market until proven otherwise the burden of proof now rests on the bears they have to prove that this is a bear uh, bear market they have to prove that this is a bull trap and that's what they've been saying on my my TL for you know the last 2 weeks this is a bull trap this is a bull trap you're stupid you're going to get crushed and i'm like great. Let's, let's see it. You know, like if, if I'm wrong, then, then we'll see the prices go back down significantly. Powell got on today. This was sort of the last gasp, I think for the bears, they were hoping Powell was going to come out and be just super hawkish. And he was going to be like, you think this is over? It's not even close to over. We're going to raise rates so high and so hard, you know, you're going to go down. He didn't do that. He tilted, he tilted dovish. He basically said, we're raising 25 bips today, which they did. Um, we're probably going to raise again another 25 bips, and he said, "Now the discussion is no longer what is the rate that the like the the pace of the of the rate hikes. Now it's the extent of the rate hikes going forward, meaning how long do we continue hiking rates?" And then he uh, spoke multiple times during the Q&A session afterwards, saying, uh, "You know, we're seeing some good progress on inflation. We can't, you know, we can't let it go to our heads. We still have to make sure this is uh, continuing to go in the right direction." but it is going in the right direction. Um, so, you know, we're, we can we can sort of let the, the our foot off the pedal, let the, you know, ease up on the gas a little bit as far as raising rates. So I, I and then, and then the markets responded that it's not me making it up. If, if anyone was paying attention to the markets and, or just to Bitcoin uh, after he spoke, the markets shot higher uh, and they, and they believe that this is for real. So I think this bull market is for real. The one last thing I'll say is, um, many smart people are waiting for you know we all know that a recessionary bear market is still somewhere ahead of us the trick is nobody knows when it is right so when the fed pauses we get what's called and i just for lack of better term call it the the fed pause rally so so when the fed goes where they're hiking 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 and then they pause usually what happens historically speaking is risk assets catch a bid they they shoot higher the last time this happens uh, in significance was back in 2006 the fed had hiked up to 5.25% the federal funds rate and that was in i believe june of 2006 and from that point to october 2007 while the fed paused their their rate hiking cycle NASDAQ stocks went, they went up 53%. That's pretty impressive. And then they peaked there. And then uh, in the summer of 2007, the Fed started kind of panicking and started lowering rates at that point. They pivoted. um, And then we all know what happened after that from 2007 till March of 2009. Then basically risk assets, equities just got annihilated and and they got hammered. So I still think that's somewhere ahead of us, but we're not there yet. Right now, we're in the Fed pause rally. This rally in risk assets, and I also believe a sig- even more significant rally in Bitcoin and Bitcoin related equities, is for real and it could last longer than most people think. So you might think it's only going to last a week or a month. That could be. Um, but it might last for six months, 12 months, 18 months. We just don't know. And the last thing I'll say, and sorry, this is very long winded. The last thing I'll say is that what people, smart people are looking for a credit event, right? It's the credit events that happen. Uh, that basically force the central banks into action. We know a credit event is going to happen because we can look at something called the high yield option adjusted spread, the OAS. That is the difference, it's the spread between the yield on high yield or junk bonds and the yield on treasuries, the risk-free rate, right? Even though we know it's not risk-free. So the difference between those two, when you're in a bullish environment, it shrinks, it gets smaller and smaller. Basically, people are, they're not concerned about risk as much, so they buy junk bonds. They buy things that are riskier to get a little bit higher yield. When people get scared that we're getting closer to a credit event, those that premium the option adjusted spread stops going down and actually increases it blows out or it widens that always happens heading not always so so take it with a grain of salt but it it almost always happens heading into a recession that you'll start to see that spread widen that's when we're getting closer to a recessionary bear market that's when we're getting closer to the fed pivoting and going flat out dovish like lowering rates and there's no signs of that right now in fact the 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 um The OAS, the high yield OAS, it peaked in June of 2022 and it's been doing this ever since and it's getting narrower and narrower. That is bullish. And then the last thing, sorry, that was supposed to be the last thing. The last, the final last thing is the VIX, volatility. Volatility has been high for most of 2022, meaning between 20 and 30 or even higher than 30. When it's in that range, that's a trader's paradise. That is not a buy and hold environment. That's where you get wrecked. You get chopped up if you're just sitting buying and holding. And so when it's below 20, I like it when it's below 19. Actually, when it's below that, that's sort of a regime shift, and that turns more into a buy and hold environment, more into a bullish environment for risk assets. After Powell spoke, the, the uh, VIX went from in the mid-19s. Now, currently, while, while we're talking, it was it's down to 17.87. It hasn't been that low in a really long time, like since 2021 everything i'm talking about everything i'm looking at all of the indicators are bullish it's a bull market until proven otherwise
0: oh man so you weren't kidding around when you said that you went from dr bear to dr bull definitely dr bull right now um so i got another question for you doc right which is the and you touched upon it earlier right this doesn't mean that the recessionary bear market was avoided it just means that in the medium term, you see that we are in a bull market. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So I think the writing is still on the wall. When you see the yield curve is inverted as it is and some other issues uh, that are going on, I still think the recession lies ahead of us. We just don't know when that's coming. And so you can sit on the sidelines if you want and be pessimistic and wait for that to happen. But in the meantime, you might miss out on a pretty like face ripping uh, bullish run in equities and especially in Bitcoin.
0: Does that mean that Bitcoin bottomed? Do you believe that we hit the bottom?
1: Uh, at this point, I do. Yes. In fact, I and, and just so you guys know, I made a bet with uh, uh, Anders of Toxic Happy Hour. I said that it hadn't bottomed yet. This was, I think, in December or maybe early January before I had pivoted. I said it hadn't bottomed yet. He says it had. Uh, I think I'm going to lose that bet and I'm going to owe um, Anders a, a a beer at Bitcoin Miami in May.
0: <laughs> and I hope to see you there as well, uh, yeah, Dr. Ross. Absolutely so interesting very interesting so what would it take in specifically in your indicators and what you're looking at what would it take for you to change your mind because I so I'm hearing also uh I, I, I think it was a coin tech coin Telegraph article and, and she was I think it was Lynn that was mentioned in it where she was making the case that hey hold on to your horses you know and, and she referred to the, the you know the the 2023 recessionary environment and, and how that it was going to be terrible for uh, what the market views as risk on assets. what What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, first of all, it confuses a lot of people because what people sometimes fail to realize is that, the markets are different than the economy right so the economy may be tipping into a recession but the markets respond differently they usually front run it actually uh, and and so i would say that throughout 2022 the equity markets and bitcoin were seeing what was coming they were seeing the writing on the wall that the economy was slowing um you know we we're heading into contraction mode for uh, manufacturing and then now services you know housing t- rolled over all that kind of stuff so those are two different things. So they can be on two completely different schedules, although they're sort of related over time, but they just sort of uh, feed off of uh, each other a little bit differently and the markets always look ahead. I would say that a recession is definitely coming. It may actually already be here. We don't know until the uh, NBER uh, blesses it and says that uh, we, are, we are officially in a recession. So so who knows, You know, we find out from them later what the answer is which is kind of funny. Uh, I don't really care about that. I care about what are the markets doing and what is price action doing? And again, so even if the economy looks like it's getting weak and I think it is, there are, I mean, earnings recessions look terrible. Their layoffs are starting to increase. It's hitting big tech the hardest, obviously, but it's starting to spread out further into uh, other parts of the economy where layoffs are starting to happen. So we should start to see unemployment numbers start to rise. All of that stuff still is ahead of us somewhere. But again, to my point, unless there is some sort of major event like a credit event, it's unlikely that the Fed will be forced to pivot and start lowering rates. And until they do that, it's most likely that risk assets will continue to catch a bid and Bitcoin, uh, which is not a risk asset, uh, but it does catch a bid alongside of other risk assets. Bitcoin is the great absorber of liquidity. So as long as liquidity is expanding and all these metrics are pointing upwards, uh, Bitcoin should do pretty well. What will I watch? I'll watch all the things that I just mentioned that I'm telling you are bullish right now, if those things pivot uh, and start to turn bearish, then I'll turn bearish, right? So I'll look at the high yield, the OAS, the option adjusted spreads. I'll look at the VIX. uh, If VIX starts spiking, if the dollar starts to spike, if bond yields start to go down because people are flocking into bonds because they know a recession is coming, all of those things uh, you can look at. Uh, and it kind of gives you clues that we're heading into the early stages of a recessionary bear market. I'm just telling you, we're not there yet. We have a ways to go uh, until we get to that point.
0: Interesting. So what, So, Dr. Ross, I think that we as Bitcoiners, we were always bashing on the central banks about how it's a scam, et cetera, et cetera. But to play devil's advocate a little bit, and I'm very curious to, to hear what your thoughts are on this. It seems to me like they pulled off this uh this uh they pulled off all this money printing and it really didn't have a crazy effect or at least the effect that a lot of bitcoiners were anticipating which is this this crazy environment am i am i am I speaking too soon when I say that
1: um uh, but we're so. Yes and no. So so first of all, kudos to Powell, right? I mean, he's learned a lot in his uh, tenure as the the Fed chair. He made some serious blunders early on in his career uh, with uh, as the Fed chair. I think he's I think the number one job of the Federal Reserve and of especially for Powell, the Fed Chair, is to manage expectations. and he even says that. And I would say at least as of you know, right now, today, February 1st, 2023, he's done a good job managing expectations. The markets basically weren't surprised to the downside. There hasn't been a major catastrophe yet. Um, it's possible that he pulls off a soft landing, quote unquote. It's all of that is possible. But we still don't know how this ends, right? We still think that somewhere down the road, because of all these rate hikes that are they're doing and all the, you know, the economic slowdown, everything that's going on, at some point, we have to pay the bill, and at some point, we may actually teeter into a severe recessionary uh, bear market, a severe downturn. Could be you know, on par with 2008, 2009. So I think it's too soon, you know, to call, to say he pulled it off, or to you know, or, or to say. Uh, um, we're through the worst of it, and there was a soft landing. I, I still don't believe that this is it. Like we're just out of the we're out of the woods now and in the clear, and that risk assets are just going to run. I think they run, but I think their time is limited. So kind of the it's sort of like musical chairs. The music is playing right now. Everybody's dancing. Risk assets are running. Bitcoin's ripping. At some point, it probably ends. It probably ends with some sort of credit event, and things head much lower uh, at some point. I just don't know when it is.
0: Interesting, and okay, okay, this is fascinating. So, and and you and you mentioned because that was my follow up question, right? Which is, do you believe they 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 they're going to pull off the soft landing, which you just answered? But my follow up to that is, if they do pull off this so called soft landing, wouldn't that defeat a lot of the narratives that to play devil's advocate, of course, wouldn't that defeat the, the a lot of the narratives that the bitcoiners are saying about the evils of central banking? Like it looks like they might have pulled it off so to speak
1: well what do you say about central banking right i mean so so first of all w- the system we're in right we have a, a an asset called the us dollar which is fiat which is based on nothing which is by design this whole expansionary credit based monetary system this keynesian economic experiment it's designed to increase and increase and increase forever and the individual unit called the dollar is designed by design to decrease in value forever and ever and ever until people completely lose confidence in it and it goes to zero and it's worthless and the system explodes and it starts over and we start over with a new system. I think that's going to be a Bitcoin standard, but um, that's how every fiat system ends, right? And that's what all central bankers do is they help facilitate the ever expansion, the ever expanding credit Empire uh, that is fiat. So the, the U.S. government is the strongest uh, of all the, the governments, right? But but all of these governments, they basically borrow and borrow. By the way, this would be one little point. We we make it sound like the central bankers are the great evil group of this. I think the biggest problem, actually, and what people don't talk about enough is governments themselves they have a borrowing problem they never stop borrowing and that's what continues to inflate it's this credit expansion and it's basically creating dollars creating credit out of thin air that's chasing after a limited amount of resources that's what causes this devaluation and the federal the federal reserve and central banks are basically the buyers of last resort the buyers of credit of last resort so at some point you get to the japanification right where they have these bonds, the government continues to borrow money, they continue to issue issue bonds. At some point, the markets are like, you know what, I don't want your dumb bond because it's. I don't think you're going to pay me back in sound money. It's not worth the interest rate. So what happens? The central bank, the J- Japanese central bank steps in and they're actually now buying more than half of the Japanese government bonds. That's the inevitable consequence. That's That's, that's what happens in every economy that has a central bank. Eventually, The central bankers become the buyers of credit of last resort. They're monetizing their own debt. That's the basically the end stage uh, of the fiat system, of the credit based system. When there's no when there's no more market for it and you're just sort of internally buying everything. That's the point where people say, you know what? Not only do I not want your bonds, I don't even want your currency anymore because it's depreciating so quickly. I need to get my purchasing power out of this system and into something else. And of course, that something else is Bitcoin. It used to be gold, uh, but now it's Bitcoin. So I don't know if that even answered your question, but I think that, uh, well, I'll stop there.
0: No, it totally, it totally, it totally does. Um, Where as in, yes, they might've pulled it off in the short term, right? But the the judge is still out on that. We don't know, right? We don't know. But let's say hypothetically they pulled it off. That doesn't mean that long-term it's a viable system because of how it's architected. Is, is correct. That, would that be correct to say?
1: Absolutely. It, we all know how it ends. We all know how the story ends. It ends in hyperinflation, currency goes to zero, the system implodes, and then you start over. Usually there's a huge coup, there's a big government transition, there's a world war, there's something, and then you start out in a new system. This time we have Bitcoin, we have this parallel monetary and financial system, so we can all flock to that uh, for our safety valve. Um, but we all know how the fiat story ends. So. Maybe they won this round. Right. But they're definitely absolutely for sure. One hundred percent going to lose the war. Gotcha.
0: Okay, so you and I've never seen you tweet something like this, Dr. Ross, so that made me feel really, really bullish because I think and (laughs) I, I had Jeff Booth on a couple weeks ago. And, you know, one of the things that we ran into was I think that all Bitcoiners, we kind of reached the same conclusions on many things. We're just coming at it from very different angles, right? But it's you—you you start to like have these realizations. And uh, one of the things that you tweeted out the last couple of days is you mentioned how the nation state um, is this like model that basically extracts the wealth of their citizens. And I think that I've noticed this the most, Doctor Ross, by being a Bitcoiner, right? I think that if you're still in the fiat matrix, so to speak. It's very difficult to see it. Like, in fact, I would even say the politics of money, like the the political process, right? You would even say, oh, that's necessary. But I think as as Bitcoiners, we're seeing it from our perspective. We're just like, that is the most archaic thing I've ever seen. We have a more efficient system. So what do you think about that? What, What do you what are your thoughts on the nation state system? Are, are, are we, you know, do you agree with the theory in the sovereign individual that information technology is basically going to uh, at least reshape the nation state how it currently exists today? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, so have we reached peak centralization, peak monopolies of uh, on power for nation states? Absolutely, I think we have. Um It's still going to take a while, though, for things to change, but um I, I absolutely think we're in a massive paradigm shift. For all of that, it's kind of hard to see when you're in it. And to your point, when you have a fiat brain, it's really hard to see any downsides to it. It's hard to see that. Uh, it's hard to see how ridiculous it is. Excuse me. Um, and so, and so, we have to help the fiat brains, right? We have to help them because they haven't been orange-pilled. They still, to them, it makes sense that oh, we we. First of all, let's make it seem like we have some sort of fiscal self-control and we'll, we'll create this thing called a debt ceiling. That'll make it sound like we have control over our spending and we're limiting our spending and we're being prudent with our spending. It's pure nonsense, right? We talked about this on a Cafe Bitcoin a, a week or two ago and I was, I was using the analogy. The debt ceiling is basically like clouds in the sky. It looks like a ceiling. But you just poke right through it, right? You go right up above it. It's a false ceiling. It's a false narrative. It will go up forever. It will go up forever until basically the system dies, till you have hyper-Bitcoinization, until everybody loses confidence in the currency. That's always how it ends. It's always, it's just 100% certain death taxes, Bitcoin, and the death of fiat. That's, it's for sure going to happen. And so, <sighs> You know, where is where does that leave us? It leaves us with um, we're, we're in this system where we need to help people to understand that this is nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense if you have, you know, if you're if your debt to GDP ratio is 120 or 130 or 150 percent or Japan, if you're over 250 percent, it literally makes no sense at all that you would try to continue to borrow more money, that you would borrow your way out of massive debt. But that's how the system works, and that's how it trains us. So, you know, Bitcoin obviously runs on a completely different uh, set of rules. Um, That's not how it works. It's not a debt-based system. It's an equity-based system. It's a savings-based system. Completely different. Debt really doesn't work very well, by the way, on a Bitcoin standard. Debt works well on a fiat standard. Debt works well when you have a currency that depreciates over time because the mathematics make it feasible to pay it for... 10, 20, 30 years to pay a home mortgage or something like that. When you're on a Bitcoin standard, it doesn't work nearly as well um, because you have to pay it back in appreciating currency, which makes it harder and harder to pay back debt over time. That's why I think we're going to have way less debt in the future, by the way. Um, but as long as we have a fiat, uh, uh, a fiat monetary base alongside of Bitcoin, this kind of weird hybrid monetary system that we have now, and I think will continue for quite some time. It does make sense mathematically to you know borrow if you can to get that fiat debt in order to obtain more Bitcoin and uh, you know basically do a um, put the kibosh on on fiat on fiat money right um, I'm 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 totally blanking on the term right now um, shoot. But basically where we're sucking the purchasing power out of fiat currency and pulling it into bitcoin speculative attack thank you opti yes so doing that speculative attack on fiat currencies i think is going to increase in this coming decade and it's going to transfer that purchasing power into bitcoin
0: absolutely and shout out opti wow come coming in thanks in. Opti. In in to save the day okay um so dr jeff ross um so you you mentioned something in there and you know, to play devil's advocate, of course, um, the argument against that would be, "Hey, look, with less debt, there's less economic expansion." What would be your response to that?
1: That's nonsense. All that, all that a credit-based system does is it accentuates the booms and the busts. If you don't have a credit-based system, if you don't have fiat money. Uh, You just have steady growth that goes along with the uh, kind of the increased productivity of humanity over time. So as long as there are humans who are being productive, you are going to have economic growth over time. It's much more stable. You don't have huge booms because everybody's borrowing money to do stuff. And then the bust because people can't pay it back because they they got over leverage. That's just human nature, right? You can't resist it. And central banks, by the way, I should add, were created to... Uh, make booms and busts less they're supposed to take the punch bowl away during the boom times and add to the punch bowl in you know put a new punch bowl in when we're in the bearish times but what happens is banks and even central banks which is insane, they they just add fuel to the fire during the boom times they continue to make money easier and easier and credit more and more and more accessible until we get to these just insane asinine valuations in everything and we just had the you know the the everything bubble that peaked in the fourth quarter of 2021 equities were at all-time high valuations bonds were at all-time high valuations, the yields of which were actually negative, which is insane, doesn't even make sense. Um, Real estate was at all-time high valuations. Private equity was at all-time high valuations. That's what happens when you have central banks who are not doing their job who are not taking the punch bowl away, who are adding to the specula- uh, speculative nature. And then in the bearish times, right, banks, what, what are they doing? Banks, are, they should be out uh, pushing lending as much as possible right now. They should be trying to reverse these recessionary conditions. But what do they do? They they go into self-preservation mode. They put up walls around themselves. They go to high, huge cash positions. They don't make loans to anybody except the, you know the people with the highest credit scores. It's a ridiculous system, and it accentuates the boom and bust cycles. Makes it much worse for uh, humans. Kills savers. Uh, you know the speculators. You know, you know they're euphoric during the the boom times, and just devastated during the the bear market times. It's awful. I hate I hate it. And so anyways, Bitcoin standard will change all of that because you won't have those huge boom and bust cycles nearly as much. Humans are still going to do stupid things. They're still going to find ways to to you know wreck even a fantastic system, but overall the system will be much more stable. And as long as there's human progress, as long as productivity gains increase over time, the world will see productivity gains. So So yeah, that's my point on that.
0: So what and I'm very bullish for this Bitcoin standard um but one of the things dr jeff that I've noticed right is that a lot of people they spent the majority of their lives in the fiat matrix have a hard time in my experience transitioning to a bitcoin standard right very very difficult um I would say can't do it less than less than nine months right you you, you gotta go through like all these aha moments and just like oh my God and realizations and you know, et cetera, et cetera, and I, and specifically in the in the West, really, uh, in the developed world, where people have this financial privilege of of living in a in a country that has a relatively stable fiat currency, right? You pitch Bitcoin to someone in the global South, and they're like, well, "Where do I sign up?" That sounds great. That sounds beautiful, and I think that they're more prone to government's response as much as they say this wasn't a response to Bitcoin I really believe it was government's response to Bitcoin, which is the central bank digital currency So my question to you is does that matter that a percentage of the population is going to be basically socially attacked to attack to to adopt you know this failing failing currency versus something like Bitcoin and I'll tell you what uh, uh, Dr. Ross, Specifically, like, you know, I, I talk to no, no coiners and they're completely asleep and oblivious to this. And I think it's like it, I'm a big believer in incentives because they're not incentivized to adopt something like Bitcoin. And you actually tweeted this out. And this is what I, I wanted to 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 talk to you about, which was Bitcoin mass adoption won't occur until Bitcoin becomes much easier to use as a medium of exchange. And number two, using Bitcoin to buy goods and services does not cause a taxable event. So specifically on number one, I completely agree with you. Apple Pay is so easy, right? You just click two buttons on the side of your phone. It's like ding, and it has a little haptic, and it makes you feel good, right? Um, Bitcoin is is a little bit. It, it, it you can't deny. I'm not saying this is getting this isn't going to change, but at this moment in time, it is, a, is is a lot. It's a lot less convenient to use in countries that have developed financial systems and stable fiat currencies. You can't deny that Bitcoin is less convenient.
1: Yeah, and what's funny about that tweet that you're bringing up, I think I tweeted that yesterday. I'm getting a ton of kickback from Bitcoiners that are like, you're crazy. It's super easy to use. Layer two is easy. Lightning's awesome. And I'm like, well, it is. And it's, it's coming and it's developed. And I, by the way, I'm super hardcore pro fanatic lightning, like lightning layer two is awesome. It's going to change the world. It's going to be what's what's awesome about Bitcoin. It's going to make it a very easy to use medium of exchange. We're not there yet. The guys who are the people who are developing layer two solutions, Jack Mallers, Jack Dorsey, you know, all of these people who lightning labs, all the people who are doing this stuff, they're like, hey, this is really hard to get this infrastructure built out. So it's just as easy to use as credit cards, as Apple Pay, as PayPal. We know that if we want to make a payment, like if I want to pay you, Nico, and send you some, you know, some sats right now, super easy, right? But but what? But my whole point is, to, to, to your point, it's not convenient. It's still not accepted around the world yet. I still can't walk into my grocery store and just go, bling, I'm paying for my groceries. I can't walk into a restaurant and say, bling, I'm paying for my food. They don't accept it yet. So that's all I'm saying about that. So that is, but what's cool about that is there are a ton of really smart people working on that right now. Like Jack Mallers, you know, I just listened to him today on Bitcoin Magazine. He's working on that right now, and they're working on it on the point of sale uh, point so that so that if we go to grocery stores and restaurants this year, we should be able to pay with Bitcoin on the lightning network should be easy. We're just not there yet. That's my only point with that. And then what most people left out is number two is the fact that it causes a taxable event one that's ridiculous right because the the government uh here in the us at least treats bitcoin as property so anytime you sell it you're creating a taxable event that's frustrating and two is even though that's an issue it wouldn't be as big of an issue if it weren't so dang hard to keep track of your cost basis which you need to do to do your taxes which is frustrating and annoying and so if we we have to work through those kind of things and it's going to take several years to get to that point where it's as easy and seamless to pay with Bitcoin as it is to pay with Visa. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I'm not, you know, the, a lot of people are getting on my case about that, saying oh, Bitcoin doesn't need that to, to increase in price. I agree with you, right? The the main thing Bitcoin solves is the store of value problem, right? When you have a perfectly scarce... I You guys, I, I, I literally talk about this all day, every day for the last six years. It's what I do. But I'm saying that in, if you want to get grandma and grandpa and Uncle Ned into Bitcoin, you have to make it as easy as Apple pay for them. And we're nowhere near that point yet. And that's when you get the mass adoption and the worldwide adoption. Um, I I still think we're years away from that happening personally. And that's good if you're a Bitcoiner now. Right. You want and you're a very early adopter. You want to get in before the rest of the world figures it out. That's how you make these crazy gains while we're still in price discovery mode. That's my whole point with that tweet.
0: Interesting. And let's talk about part number two, right, which is And I think that this is another big hurdle now, like it's extremely difficult for them to enforce this, but it doesn't mean it's still not against the law, which was technically how it is right now. And this is why I believe that legal tender laws are such BS in the first place. Right. Um, Let's talk about the fact that right now, how it stands, at least specifically in the United States and honestly, in Europe as well, right, where the transaction of Bitcoin is considered a taxable event, specifically if you've had a gain. Right. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Because, you know, you know what? And I think this is a a, a more difficult problem to solve. The number the number one, uh, Dr. Ross, because they're going to have to admit on that problem that, hey, no, your money is designed to lose value versus if they allow that. It's like no money can lose value. And I think that if you open that box, you can't you can't put it back in. You know, it's it's a very, very difficult question for them to answer.
1: Right. That's what makes it such a tricky issue too. It's the government basically admitting that Bitcoin is legitimate also, which is not something they totally, especially here in the US, right? We're the world's reserve currency. They want to maintain that status for as long as possible. And so um, I think that it's not going to come from the federal government anytime soon. I think it's going to be kind of an uh, uh, organic ground up, basically a state-based movement. So I think states in the U.S. will start to push that. We're going to see countries like El Salvador and other things push it as well. Um but that's kind of the issue is 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 when do governments playing with the game theory, when do they acknowledge that Bitcoin is a legitimate competitor to their currency? And when do they admit that their currency is designed to depreciate and value over time versus this Bitcoin thing, which is perfectly scarce and literally designed to appreciate and value over time? And how do you kind of balance that uh, if you're a legislator? So. It's going to take some time. And this is this is, you know, we're in the difficult phases. And I think that's why it gets so much pushback from uh, the, you know, the kings and queens of the current fiat system, the 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 Jamie Diamonds and the Warren Buffetts and Charlie Mungers and the Elizabeth Warrens and, uh, you know, all these people who are very opposed to Bitcoin and all the statists who hate Bitcoin because they think it undermines the dollar. You know what? They're right. It does undermine the dollar. And it's going to at some point somewhere probably far in the future going to replace the dollar. Um, but for now, the best thing that I think government officials can do and regulators could do is to find ways to play nice with Bitcoin, to figure out how to take advantage of it uh, for the, for their own sake, you know, for their own selfish reasons. It, it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. And so the best thing they can do is, is, uh, is figure out solutions with it and not try to uh, ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist.
0: A hundred percent. It's like, this thing is not going to go away, right? It's, it's not going to go away. And I think the faster they come to terms with that, the more beneficial it's going to be for their citizens. It's going to, it's the more beneficial it's going to be for them as well. Right. You know, it's kind of like an ostrich burying its head in the sand. It's like, no, this thing doesn't exist. Um, okay. So this is a question that I've, I, I asked Lynn and I asked, uh, Jeff Booth and I'm very curious to hear what your response is to this, uh, Doctor Jeff. Which is, is inflation necessary? Because that is the that is the next thing. Like that's the next narrative, right? And it and it's so entrenched in people. Doctor Ross, I I watched a video of Justin Trudeau, like just criticizing Bitcoin because it's short-term volatility. But the words that he said was like, his political opponent. He was accusing him as like. People actually thought they could opt out of inflation. And that wasn't the part that surprised me. Obviously, he's incentivized to say that. But it was a lady in the audience's reaction. She laughed. She's like, ha, 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 that is so true. And it's so entrenched. It's so entrenched in the mindset of people. And Bitcoiners are believing this. this to, be, to be honest, it's, it's a radical idea where it's like, not only should money not steal from you, it actually should increase in purchasing power over time. So is this world economy, is, it, is is money, is it possible? is it Can it happen without inflation baked into it?
1: Well, the reason why this is so emotional and causes people so much uh, stress is because if you are born and bred in the fiat system and you have a fiat brain, they're actually correct. You have to have inflation if you have a depreciating currency if you have an ever-expanding credit-based system you have to have inflation in order for that system to work deflation will cause that system to break so they're actually right and that's why there's so much confusion but what they don't understand is you don't have to have that if you have an appreciating currency like bitcoin and that's my whole point for all of that when you have a depreciating currency the, the natural solution is a credit-based system when you have an appreciating currency credit based systems don't work very well in fact that in fact they'll they'll probably fail and they'll wreck people who try to take out loans um, because of the appreciating nature for it so it's two completely different systems and if you're only fiat brain if you're a fiat brain statist and there are really smart people out there who are like this close to bitcoin but they cannot get around that inflation issue because they think the whole world revolves around some truth that you have to have inflation And they're right. They're right if you're in a fiat system. But Bitcoin is a totally different system, right? So that is just false. I get that a lot all the time. People say, oh, so if you're on some sort of deflationary currency, what are you going to do? Tell somebody who did a good job working that next year, their salary is going to go down. And they look at me like, are you the stupidest person I've ever met? And I would say, yes, because what's the other side of that? What's the other side if you have a deflationary currency and you see, um, that you actually start paying people less and less. What's the other side of that coin? The other side of the coin is that means costs of goods and services are going down, probably going down faster, right? So, so you're in a you're in a system instead of seeing the cost of healthcare, the cost of education, the cost of groceries, the cost of picket, whatever you want to name, movies, you know, anything. That lava lamp right there. Cost of lava lamps going up year after year. That's what you have in an inflationary system with a depreciating currency like we have now. That's what we're all used to. When, when I was, I'm 48, when I was a kid, Snicker bars cost 25. I still vividly remember Snicker bars because I could, I could use a quarter and I could either buy a Snickers or I could play a, a Donkey Kong video game um, at this little snack shack that I used to go to. That's what we're all used to. We think that's normal. We think you have to have that. We think that in order for an economy to uh, expand, that you have to have an expansionary monetary supply. I hear really, really otherwise smart people talk about this and I'm just telling them that that's the fiat brain thinking. When you're on a Bitcoin standard, it's completely false. Bitcoin has built in velocity into the it moves at the speed of commerce It moves faster than the speed of commerce. You don't have to have uh, an expanding monetary supply in order to have an expanding world, expanding um, commerce, expanding economy. Bitcoin takes care of that problem, and prices will get cheaper over time. If the if your money supply is static and your economy is growing, you're going to have decreasing prices over time, and that's a good thing, right? Uh, and the only people the only people who it's not good for, by the way, are people who benefit currently from the current fiat standard from the current credit-based system. And I get that that's real. If you own a credit-based business, you're just like, what are you talking about? Why would we ever want to see credit go away? Right? If you're a politician and you have and you benefit from the Cantillon effect, why would you ever want that to go away? If you're the king of the biggest banking empire ever in the history of the world, like Jamie Dimon is, why would you ever want that to go away? You wouldn't. You would hate it. You would hate the alternative. That's why they say the things they do. That's why they hate Bitcoin so much. You do not have to have an expansionary monetary supply in order to enjoy the benefits of economic growth. To Jeff Booth's point, as technology improves, as humans become more efficient and more productive, and you have a, a stable, non-inflationary monetary supply called Bitcoin, you will see ever increasing benefits. You will buy. You will be able to buy more and more with less and less money over time, and that is the beauty of Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I I agree with you. And and let's let's explore that a little bit, right? And I think you 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 drop little hints, um, you drop little hints here and there, right? Versus, and you were calling it the fiat mindset, right? That's that's what you called it. And I had a conversation with CK, and he calls it the fiat operating system versus the Bitcoin operating system, right? Do you and and I really believe this and maybe this is kind of getting into like the the spiritual the spiritual philosophical conversation, right? But I really believe that that fiat mindset is really responsible for a lot of the political ills or the divisions that we're seeing. And I think that people inherently know something is wrong with the system, but they continue to like seek like a, a, a political solution. Versus, the, but the, but the political solution has been captured, right? The the the, poli- the incentives of politicians is not to serve their constituents; it's really to get as close as possible to the to the money spigot, right? Um, so, what are your thoughts on that? Do you believe, and you are a doctor after all, do you believe that um, that fiat is bad for the soul and, and Bitcoin is good for the soul, and and why why you believe that is?
1: Well, it's all about incentives, right? So so Bitcoin literally incentivizes honesty. Like if you're dishonest and you try to game the system, all you do is you waste energy and energy production is costly. You're wasting that. And so you're incentivized to not waste your money and waste your time. And so Bitcoin incentivizes you to be honest. It's an honest unit of account. Everything Bitcoin touches, it forces into an honest unit of account. Who does not like Bitcoin? People who don't like to live by an honest unit of account. Who doesn't like to live by an honest unit of account? Politicians, they're number one, right? We talked about the debt ceiling that goes up forever, that it's a fake, it's a false narrative that there's a ceiling to their debt. It just goes up and up and up and up. It's a a pretend ceiling. It's a false narrative. They hate the idea of Bitcoin. They hate the idea of being held accountable, of having to actually balance a budget. It's literally like a joke in politics to consider uh, balancing a budget. Companies who have learned to get around the system to work to game the fiat system again hate it, right? And so it's a condition. It's a a condition of incentivization. So fiat incentivizes, you know, all of these other behaviors. It incentivizes borrowers uh, to to borrow as much as possible. It 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 incentivizes people to consume, right? We hear all the time that the American, the U.S. GDP is 70% consumption based what so so what does the government do that and what did the fed talk about they want people to borrow money and to buy stuff it doesn't matter what it is you can buy just nonsense garbage crap plastic little trinkets they don't care that drives gdp growth they like that it drives the economy That's what gets incentivized in a fiat system. It's totally the opposite, again, with Bitcoin. It does not. Bitcoin incentivizes you to save and to think very long term. Right. And that's very, very, very different than the world we live in right now. And again, if you're fiat brained if you grew up in the system, a lot of people, even very smart people, can't even imagine another world because it's sort of like a fish imagining life outside of water. You can't. It's just what you grow up in. It's your environment. It's everything you breathe. You know, it's you're breathing in water uh, and and extracting oxygen through your gills for it. Like you can't even imagine life outside of water. And so the fiat brain folks bless their hearts. They're all pre Bitcoiners. So I I don't get on their case. You know, even the the most vocal anti Bitcoin critics, they're they're coming around. Eventually, it's it's just going to take some longer than others because their fiat brain is so, so strong. uh, And we just have to continue to work with them.
0: Interesting. Um, okay, so you're saying continue to work with them. Uh, maybe simply because we have to cover the daily news and we're slaves to the news cycle. Like we kind of see the <laughs> the reactions, so to speak, by, by government. Like today, for example, it came out that the European Union, they're, they're trying to, like, you know, good intentions, of course, they're trying to basically pass this law that would force uh message providers to have to share all their messages with the government and then the government would have like this like kind of filtering system but it's impossible to do that with open source software so it would be a de facto ban on open source software you could say that's a de facto ban on bitcoin and if and if they're not okay with you sending certain types of messages what makes you think they would be okay with you transacting with people so what about them like what about them Is it, what, at what point does it get to where you're just like look i opt out i make a joke with opti all the time i'm like bro there's a 50 50 chance we're gonna move to el salvador like i'm just letting you know we're gonna have <laughs> we might have to pick up and just leave right so uh what are your thoughts on that
1: you know we're 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 clearly moving into a dystopian world right and we're already here in many ways we you know you, you brought up cbdc's earlier you brought up there's just complete invasion of privacy Uh, It's obviously worse in China, but but other countries like here in the US and in Europe, they're picking up on that and they're moving towards a more dystopian, more controlling central command type future. And that's because, you know, they're crumbling. They're getting desperate. I think the moves that we're seeing coming out of the WEF, you know, their suggestions to basically control everything from our diet to our spending, to our messaging, to just every parts of our lives, to giving us a social credit score. These are these elite people in power that want to maintain power, but they're watching it kind of start to crumble. And they're seeing things like Bitcoin and these decentralized systems. The Internet, right, was the first sort of step towards that the sovereign individual. It's basically what started to seep power away from these uh, central authorities who have this monopoly on power. It was the only solution around it. You can't defeat America by being more powerful than America. You have to do a workaround. And that's what Bitcoin was, is the sly workaround. Uh, And it's facilitated by the Internet, too, obviously, and the ubiquity of the Internet. And so I look at all of these moves as their acts of desperation by these dystopian governments and who are actually the more desperate they get, the more dystopian things get things get. And at some point, the citizens are like, you know what? This is insane. I used to kind of be pro you government, pro whatever government, I'm out, this is crazy. Like you guys are just pushing the line too far. You've taken all of my privacy. You're, You're trying to control every aspect of my life. I want out and we're seeing that, right? And it got way worse with COVID and the response to COVID. Uh, and And it's getting much worse too with central bank digital currencies. It's getting worse in every single way. These are the last gasp, the last ditch maneuvers from dystopian governments to get even more controlling. And the people are, people are rising up and rebelling. And now we actually have a way out. We didn't have a way out before, but we do now with the Internet, you can be completely decentralized and and the government can't stop it. Bitcoin cannot be stopped. You cannot. There's no possible way to destroy Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network. As long as like one node exists, Bitcoin still exists. And so uh, the government, uh, they're starting to see the writing on the wall, even though some of them probably can't put a finger on it. You can see signs of desperation everywhere. And it's not going to be pretty, by the way, either. I don't I don't see this as some sort of peaceful, calm transition. I think it's going to get even more tumultuous uh, over time. And so thankfully, we have a way out. Thankfully, I think uh, it's just sort of inevitable that Bitcoin wins and that decentralization will win eventually. But it's going to be a very when you look back in history, we'll see this, I think, as kind of a revolutionary time as a. Uh, as a major paradigm shift in our culture from centralization to decentralization, and that's facilitated by the internet, internet, and facilitated by Bitcoin.
0: And, and I and, and I completely agree. Some people call this moment in history a fourth turning, right? Um, and I agree. I, I think this is a pivotal time um, in people's lives. Uh, unfortunately, my generation was the one that kind of got the brute force of it. Uh, So in a way, like we're a little bit more militant about it. Um, And Dr. Ross, I I would say, and I've had conversations with people about this. Is this a generational thing? Like, is this going to take full generations for people to get out of this high centralization mindset? And yeah, centralization, you know, I think if you look at it, in the grand scheme of things, I think it's worse than decentralization, but it also has benefits. And those benefits are people can outsource personal responsibility to either large governments, you know, people, banks, if, if it's the storage of their wealth, also health too, right? Which I think is disaster. Education, right? I think it's been a disaster as well, right? But they are benefits and the benefits would, the benefits would say, if you are someone you know, if you are someone that, man, I don't know how to say this nicely. Uh, if you are someone that benefits from the that type of system, I'll say it like that. If you are someone that benefits from that type of system, um, you are you are a lo- you are a loser in this decentralization that we're heading into, and also the sovereign individual talked about this about how this transition was going to affect a certain type of person.
1: Absolutely. There will absolutely be winners and losers in the next system. And I think we've talked about this on your show before, but I agree, there are people, I mean, let's call them sheeple, right? There are the sheeple who are just fine giving up their privacy and their freedoms in order to have the protection of the state, in order to get fed by the state, to receive money from the state, to receive housing from the state. They're not entrepreneurial. They don't wanna start a business. They don't have ambition. There are, And there are tons and tons and tons of people like this. They're just fine sitting at home, watching TV, playing video games, as long as a check comes in and as long as they can go get you know their junk food, their Fiat food to feed their Fiat bodies and to feed their Fiat brains, they're super happy. These people will hate the Bitcoin standard. They will hate it because they will hate decentralization because with decentralization comes personal responsibility. People who are not responsible don't want personal responsibility. They want less responsibility. They, they look at that and they're scared of it. They, they're like, I don't I don't want to have to manage my life. I don't want to have to think about other people and take care of other people. I don't want to have to take care of myself. I want to be taken care of. Those are, I just refer to them affectionately as sheeple, bless their hearts. Those are the people that we're going to be sort of clashing with uh, along the way and who will not like this new system and who will not benefit. And they're overlords, right? The politicians the Jamie Diamonds, the people who benefit in the fiat system, they, they dole out a little bit. They give them you know, free money into their bank account. They tell them you can't go out. You have to wear a mask or whatever. And I don't want to get in the COVID thing, but they tell them what to do. And they they say, OK, we don't want you going out and here's some money in your bank and vote for me. Those are also the people who don't like this new system. They don't like the personal responsibility system because in a system of personal responsibility on a Bitcoin standard, you don't need governing officials. You don't need people bossing you around and telling you what to do because you figure it out yourself. And if you're generally not very smart, and, and, and this isn't even a rip on people, right? The, the, I, the average IQ is 100, right? So everybody above 100 has above average intelligence and below is 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 below average intelligence. For people who are below average intelligent, it's hard to get by. It's hard to be responsible. It's hard to have a good job and to make a good living, you know, and to support a family. I get all that. That's like a legitimate thing. So all of that changes on a big, it's literally just a massive paradigm shift. You brought up the fourth turning, by the way, and I'm all about that. I think that's an awesome book. And I agree with that and the cyclicality of humanity and all of these cycles, um, this is more than that, though. This is more like sovereign individual stuff, like an every once every 500 years shift in humanity. Uh, I think that's what we're like. It's a printing press and uh, industrialization moment for for the world. I think the internetization and decentralization and, and, and Bitcoin basically are going to cause like literally an entirely whole new world, a whole new way of life uh, for humanity. And it's just massive. And I still think most people don't even realize it yet.
0: Yeah, it, 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 I agree with you. Most people don't realize it. I think the global south is going to catch up on this a lot quicker um, than the developed world, uh, just because they're incentivized to go and going back to incentives. Um, so, Dr. Jeff, we have about, you know, five, six minutes left. My question to you, and I guess it would be. Question for the audience, right? Is what advice would you give investors and Bitcoiners heading into the next six to nine months?
1: Oof. Okay. First of all, I, I am an investment advisor, so I can't give personal advice, right? So these are just general, a general thoughts. General
0: issues, general, general
1: General thoughts, yeah. right? Keep an eye. So this is coming full circle now full, to what we were talking about at the very beginning. I'm very bullish. I think that um, uh, I was bearish, literally from basically January 2022 through uh, the second week of January 2023, with a couple of exceptions. I'm bullish for now, so I, I would I would say that sitting on the sidelines and waiting for the inevitable recessionary bear market that everybody knows is coming, you may be waiting for for quite a while. Uh, I think for Bitcoin itself. Bitcoin can rip and and melt faces off. Right. It it can rip really high, especially if Bitcoin happens to go above its 200 week moving average, which is sitting at about twenty five thousand US dollars. That's kind of the last major momentum hurdle. That's what will, I think, bring in larger institutional money back into Bitcoin as well. Um, If it does that, it could go much higher and it could do it really quickly. So I would sort of behoove people or, you know, I I can't I got to be careful what I say. I would just be careful about sitting on the sidelines and just waiting because, you know, things are going to get terrible. At some point, things will get bad again. But in the meantime, things look pretty darn good. So um, Bitcoin itself is meant for saving. Right. It's better money for a better world. We talked about all the reasons why it's incentive structure, blah, blah, blah. It's scarcity. Try to have as long of a time horizon as possible. Think about it. It's what I tell my clients. Think about Bitcoin like a retirement account. You don't, you don't put money in an IRA and think you're gonna spend it in a in a month and get concerned if it if it fluctuates and goes down. Think about Bitcoin as something that you hold for as long as possible. I you know, ideally forever if you can, right? You wanna find ways to not spend your Bitcoin and just to save it. I I tell people to try to have a minimum of a 10-year time horizon. I think if you have a 10-year or longer time horizon, this is just an absolutely fantastic time to be purchasing Bitcoin. my opinion, I could be wrong, but I think it will be much, 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 much higher 10 years from now than it is today. I think it will outperform basically any other asset throughout this decade. I think people who have... um, who are used to a 60-40 stock bond portfolios that did really well from basically 2010 to 2021. I think they're in for a world of disappointment uh, over the next decade. I think it's going to be a really tough time to buy and hold and just to sit in your stocks. It's going to be lots of choppy sideways action, probably. Uh, and and it's it's probably going to be disappointing from in real terms. If you factor in inflation, I don't think a lot of gains are going to be made because they're still so overvalued. So. That was sort of a a run around your question. It's hard to say what's gonna happen in the next six to nine months, but for now I'm bullish. uh, And in the very long term with Bitcoin, I'm extremely bullish. So I can stop with that.
0: I share that sentiment and just just to be specific, you did give me the individual investing advice for me is Nico, you have to buy a crap ton of Bitcoin. He was he was <laughs> typing it in the back and I'm just totally joking. Um, So Dr. Jeff Ross, real quick question, right? What would be the warning signs that we're exer- exiting this temporary bull market before the, you know, you have to pay the piper, so to speak?
1: Yeah. So all of the reasons why I said I'm bullish right now, I would look for those things to reverse. So I can just give you a run. These are what I look at. Everybody has their own uh, indicators, fund managers do. So here's what I look at. I look at the high yield OAS, so the options adjusted spread. If that goes right now, it's decreasing, that's bullish. If it starts to go higher, that may mean we're heading into a credit type event, which is not good. That means the floor could be ready to drop out under risk assets. So if you see OAS, the high yield OAS spreads start to widen, that's a concerning sign. If you see the dollar start to strengthen, warning. If you see VIX start to ramp up volatility, Um, especially if it gets into the 20s and then even up as high as 30s. That's usually scary times. That's usually because the floor is dropping out under risk assets. Bitcoin is a fantastic barometer because it's the world's freest market. It tends to forewarn people when times of crises are coming or good times are coming. Right now, I would suggest it's signaling that good times are coming, and it's been signaling that for a couple of months now um so all of those indicators just pay attention to that the other thing is oil oil is kind of surprisingly low to me that's the one thing that's sort of off for me it's sitting right around 77 dollars a barrel right now oil is another thing that when you see that start to drop that basically means the world's economy is grinding to a halt and people aren't using it and bidding up the price of oil so if you see oil start to crash significantly that could be another sign uh, of badness coming those are the things I look at um, uh, right now. All of those indicators I just mentioned are all moving in the bullish direction. And so I'm bullish.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I, I'm bullish too. I'm always bullish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I shouldn't be, but I but I am. Maybe to my <laughs> fault. Uh, Dr. Jeff Ross, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us today on Simply Bitcoin IRL. Um, why don't you tell anybody, everybody what, what you're working on these days and where they could find you online?
1: Sure. So, um, you know, I, I manage a fund and some uh, investment advisory, separately managed accounts at, at a place called Vailshire. You can look at Vailshire.com to find that. Um, on Twitter, my handle is at Vailshire Cap. Um, that's just kind of my personal account, though. It has nothing to do with Vailshire. Uh, and then I actually just today signed up for Damis which is the, the Noster dealio, which which for me was is challenging because I'm not very tech savvy, uh, but I created an account there. So I'm excited for that to see how that's different. And um, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of freedom of speech and not a fan of dystopia and the government telling us what we can and can't say. So if you want to find me on there, you can do that as well.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining, joining me. Uh, guys, we will see you back tomorrow, a regular episode of Simply Bitcoin IRL. And uh, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Nico. Anytime. I love being on your show. All right.